Welcome to EdTech Examined, a series about educational technology and what you need to know. I'm Eric Christensen. And I'm Chris Hans. Welcome to another episode of EdTech Examined. This is the Apple Spring-Loaded EdTech Debrief. Good afternoon, Chris. How's it going today? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, we watched uh, the Apple Spring Loaded event, which was was it this Tuesday? Is that when it was? Yeah, it was a couple of days ago. So, yeah. yeah, we were thinking of doing it live, and I, I'm not sure how much value that would have added uh, doing a live stream. But well, and by the time we edit and think about it, and uh, you know, probably wasn't worth it. Plus, we're going to put a bit of a different spin on it. We're going to talk a little about how it maybe relates to education, where the tech blogs are really focusing on the technology. Um, so this is, this is, um, they usually, the uh, Apple often has a March event, uh, where they release new iPads. It's, it's often September is an event where they have the iPhone and the Apple watch or the watch now. And then the other events, uh, spring is usually iPads and Macs. Macs are often scattered throughout the year, either with the iPhone or they're released just as like a press release. And then, of course, in, in June every year, we have the Apple's always had the WWDC, which is their worldwide developers conference. And that's usually where uh, they, they go into detail about the next version of Mac OS, the next version of the iPhone software, and they get developers. And it's a conference, so they can learn all the new features and APIs and stuff like that. So that's typically the rollout. This year, we had an April event. That's rare, but not out of the realm of possibility. Um, and Apple covered a few things in this event. Some were very surprising. I would say most of it was pretty surprising. Um, and maybe we just, we were working from a, a Mac world article, which we'll put in the show notes. And, uh, do you want to just, should we just walk through starting with air tags? Yeah, sure. So what, how does this work? I don't quite get it. <laughs> Well, for, from my understanding, it's uh, very similar to what like Tile has, uh, where you can basically track things using that Find My uh, feature that's uh, within all iPhones. So, I mean, I, I think it's pretty smart on their part. Um, you know, this is something that, uh, as we were discussing prior to uh, starting this episode, uh, and even that day, I mean, this is uh, something that's been in the works for years. Uh, they actually, this technology was based around uh, a startup that they actually acquired. And I mean, uh, Apple, for the most part, doesn't really acquire and buy out other companies, but uh, they bought out a Toronto-based um, uh, company uh, for their beacon technology and they've been using it within their stores for just tracking um, inventory and uh, where you'd be able to walk in and figure out where it is in the store and now they've uh, uh, you know expanded it beyond that but um, I mean it's uh, it'll be interesting when they actually release it and uh, I believe they're going to be on sale pretty soon but um, uh, it's certainly something like given that we're on the Apple ecosystem, I, I think it makes sense for us to go in uh, for certain things that maybe you're losing or want to keep track of. Uh, certainly uh, helps with the, you know, the billions of uh, Apple devices out there. The ecosystem certainly helps for finding things. So it's essentially so the MiFi app. I mean, I actually use that a lot. Um, that's the you can see where. All your Apple devices are geographically. You can also stock your family members if they're on your uh, family plan. I can tell where my 
it sounds really weird, but I mean, it's actually really helpful. I don't mean this from like a stalker point of view, but my, I could, if my wife, I know if she's going out to do something and she's not coming home for a long time and I'm thinking, oh my God, is she okay? Did the car break down? Like I can actually see on a map because we've given each other permission and same with me. Like if I'm taking forever to get back from work, uh, it probably connects to my iPhone, um, but it says where I am. So I have used Tile before, which is a third party that makes uh, a tracker app and now apple has their competitor so it works primarily from bluetooth or is it a secret sauce i'm, I'm sure it's probably uh, partly bluetooth and then uh, i'm not sure how the i mean they they didn't get into the full specifics uh, in terms of how the technology works but uh, there's obviously a chip in there and then a replaceable battery that you can go and um, so it's not you know one use uh, after a year you just dispose of it which is kind of nice yeah so it's kind of like a little circular metal puck well really small though like a i don't know like a silver dollar kind of a thing size um it does have a replaceable battery like you mentioned it takes like a cr something something like one of those flat circular batteries they say it's good for about a year uh ip67 dust and water rating now i was thinking about this from an education standpoint so uh, i suppose we could give this to all our students and connect the whole campus to find my i think that would be a huge breach of privacy it is kind of neat though uh because they had some ads during the event demonstrating someone you know who lost his keys and then he's like crawling into the couch and the couch is like this like hundred meter uh cave where he's there's like people lost in there it was actually really quite funny um but it is useful for students there's a lot of stuff left on campus uh our lost and founds are in the library are often quite full so i can see it as useful for that i was also wondering about uh deployment so I guess it, I guess it doesn't really matter, but if you are deploying with now just with find my in general. So if you deploy, deploy, you know, iPads for your elementary class would be expensive, but let's say you did that. I guess it's kind of nice because if you're from a loaning perspective, if you're loaning technology to people that's connected to an Apple ID, if you're, you know, loaning out an Apple device, uh, you don't really need the, the tile or their, their air tag tracker, but you know, if it would be interesting in a use case, if we, uh, we lend out, we have some iPads in, uh, in the library, we don't lend them out, but if we did, but what if we had some, you know, Android devices, could we like duct tape this to it? Keep an eye on things. Cause I think you can rename anything that you associate the air tag with. So I'm wondering from just a school perspective, more like a K to 12 school perspective, uh, this might be an interesting use case if they're already in the Apple ecosystem. They can kind of track if their devices die or if they get lost or where they go, especially if they're giving them out to like little kids and stuff. Yeah, I mean, for sure, from a, a asset tracking standpoint, I mean, we even talked about, um, you know, with uh, the increase of uh, bicycles being stolen. I mean, I, I probably would throw this in the uh, under the seat in the frame or something. And uh, now mm -hmm. you can go and keep track of your bike. It, that's a great use case. I mean, so I, yeah, I don't, the education components to this are not as clear as some of the other stuff we're going to talk about, like the computers, right? But it is an interesting product. It's just different. It's, it's user replaceable battery. It's re relatively affordable. That's usually not an Apple thing. I think, I mean, it, it's, 
it's about on par price-wise with Tile and some of the other trackers. In fact, it comes under compared to one of the higher, not Tile, but one of the other brands. So it's actually well, relatively well-priced. You have a year of battery life. Uh, you could put it on your bicycle. I'm thinking if you took a bicycle to campus, and bikes, many bikes have been stolen from campus, um, this would be really helpful. I just think about tracking down things that have been taken. Um, and it's interesting from a privacy perspective. So apparently, and I was reading, a, a da- I think it was uh, Dave, Dave Lee, I think that's his name. He's a YouTuber. I was looking at this earlier. Uh, someone was wondering, like, what if, what if you know, Chris... Uh, I taped it to your car because I wanted to track you everywhere. Like, does that work? And I, I guess what happens is, is that if it's away from the user for too long and it's following somebody else, the the AirTag will alert the person that you've attached it to. So you can't like, you know, Spider-Man this on somebody as a surveillance device. I think it like starts to either shut itself off. Like, I think it has to be in proximity to whatever device it's been or account it's been registered with. Cause that was my question. I was like, man, this could be dangerous. You just throw this in every backpack. You could find out where all your group members are. Okay. Everybody take a tracker. It's like, it could be a huge invasion of privacy. Right. But I think there is some uh, proximity once it gets far enough away from you and it senses there's another phone out there. It'll like alert. It'll alert the person you're tracking, which I thought was smart. Cause I was kind of thinking about that thinking, how's this going to work? Well, and that's the nice thing that with Apple, they're they're taking that, um, you know, um, privacy stance uh, with all of their products. Right. So that's that's kind of a nice thing. I mean, hopefully, again, we don't know how the when they release it. But I mean, I was thinking for myself, uh, especially with our our pets, like, you know, uh, I would probably mm-hmm. I mean, not that we put on collars or whatever, but it would be kind of nice to have because the, the closest thing for something like this, uh, and when I've looked at it in the past, it's like hundreds of dollars and you have to have a separate cell phone plan or whatever. And uh, again, uh, I think this is probably uh, something that uh, for Apple, you know, you talked about price and, you know, having that replaceability and of the battery, which usually they never do. Uh, but I, I think this is one of uh, their attempts to basically increase uh, their moats around uh, the overall ecosystem. I mean, that's one of the reasons why even, uh, you know, for the longest time, people have been talking about, well, uh, wh- it's easy enough for Apple to go and just take their iMessage, create an Android app and uh, deploy it on there. But uh, apparently the reason why they haven't done that is uh, uh, that gives people a further incentive to actually use the Apple products in that ecosystem. And it's working. Um, and there, you know, because I mean, I clearly, I'm, it's, it's more difficult, uh, to now maintain multiple accounts. If I went to Google, um, though, ironically, I recently bought a new television, which is a Google Android based TV. So that's interesting. Um, the second thing Apple announced, which was kind of put under the rug was the Apple TV. I don't know that this has like a great education component. Other than that, when I worked in education technology, we did have Apple TVs as kind of the standard um, box for, excuse me, uh, group collaboration rooms and things like that. And because it was a Mac, because the faculty of education, we did Mac training and Mac software certification training and a bunch of stuff. It was kind of a, that faculty was kind of a, 
at U of A was kind of a Mac environment. And most students had one. They could then, of course, airplay and share things right to the Apple TV, which is pretty cool. I don't think the Apple TV is a particularly compelling device in a multi-platform world. I mean, like I was just, the reason I brought up a TV that I, I bought is because the Apple TV app is there. And all the movies I own, which is only Star Wars, it's the only things I've ever bought, but they all show up. So there's no need to plug in their proprietary box. It's a great, it has AirPlay, but so does an, a lot of the devices I have that aren't even made by Apple. They support AirPlay too. I can beam all sorts of stuff right to it. Um, this seems to me, the Apple TV is a great, is a really good set-top box. They got rid of the awful remote that it had. So it has a better remote with like a, you know, a, a proper directional pad. Um, I don't know that there was anything substantial about this other than they bumped it up to 4k. It does not do 120 frames per second, I believe, which is kind of a disappointment. So, um, if you're giving a presentation or something and you're using that as your presentation device, that's very, very slick. Um, but it's okay. Maybe we should, I feel like I'm stretching with the Apple TV. Maybe the most important thing we talk about is the, the iMac and the iPad. So I know that you are interested and we've had this discussion before either with a mac mini or an imac some sort of mac desktop you may go the desktop route now that you have an ipad pro which now you have to upgrade because ours is totally obsolete clearly i'm only joking um but they, they did announce a new m1 uh so apple silicon not intel based imac with a radically different design what are your thoughts what do you think about this is this a compelling product for education and it was funny because, uh, you know, uh, our audio um, uh, producer, sound engineer, he's like, I'll take one of each color. <laughs> and, uh, and I mean, it's it's cool that they brought back the colors, which, uh, you know, it's been a long time. We've basically gone to like that aluminum silver finish and, and now uh, more of like this space gray. Uh, but uh, to have that kind of color back, it, it certainly allows you to have that personality. Uh, I'm still kind of waiting for the larger size to see what uh, that price range is going to be because how big is this one? This one's 24 inch, and so they haven't released like the 27 or maybe 30 inch that they might might get. And how big? Do you remember? I actually don't remember how big was the smaller one before. Was it 21 or 22? Uh, you know, I, th I think it was 21. I think they bumped it up a couple of inches, maybe. Yeah, I mean, the I think the base one was around that size, and then uh, uh, you had the option of going up to like twenty seven, right? I mean, the the Apple Cinema display that I'm using right now that's a twenty seven inch, and mm -hmm. I know that mm -hmm. they did produce thirty inch at one point. Um, it was like an older model, but uh, again, it's nice to have that extra kind of uh, real estate for the the screen size. Uh, so for myself, I mean, we, I'd look at it like, especially for price range. I mean, first off, uh, it's a 24 inch, so they haven't gotten the bigger version, which we don't know if they're going to have. Um, I like the colors. I, I don't know if I necessarily even need, like they've upgraded the, um, uh, camera in it. Uh, so it's 1080p, but it, I have a external Logitech, um, webcam that's probably way better than what's in there anyways. So uh, for myself, I'm still wondering what, uh, what I'll do in the future. And I, I think uh, realistically, if just from a price standpoint, um, uh, right now, maybe the Mac Mini is the, the most uh, kind of cost effective for myself because I already have displays. 
Um, I could basically soup up the Mac Mini uh, to the highest specs and probably still be well under what this iMac is going to be. Uh, I mean, the Mac um, iMac, they're, the display is 4.5K Retina, so that's that's obviously going to be nice, but I don't know if it's going to be, you know, uh, that much of a big uh, difference. Um, again, I, I guess you have to kind of evaluate the cost if it's worth it. Now, yeah, and I agree. I mean, I've always kind of preferred uh, the modularity. So a Mac mini or a laptop plus an external display. I have a 4K monitor with a MacBook Pro plugged into it, a 16-inch MacBook Pro. From a student perspective or a faculty perspective, I've had a few questions uh, from colleagues. You know, I'm going to buy a home computer, but many, you know, many of them have a, a large phone. It's not uncommon for them to have an iPad just because of the pen and the note taking and the portability. Uh, you know, clamshell device is heavy in a, in a purse or a shoulder bag. It does add weight. So I, I think the desktop, at least the way I see it, is the desktop has had a bit of a revival because the mobile devices are so good for quick productivity. You can kind of leave your workstation at home. You don't need to take it with you. Um, now when we, when the, uh, original Apple Silicon Macs were done and we did our back to school, I think it was our back to school episode or following that update, we, we touched on the Mac mini being a great value as well as the MacBook air. Now, of course there's a display cost and displays are actually really quite expensive right now because of the work from home and, and actually a bunch of shortages in technology. They've just skyrocketed in price from a student perspective or like a faculty perspective. Is this a good buy? as a word processor machine, stuff like that. I mean, and we know that the performance out of these new Apple Silicon Macs rivals some of the most expensive Macs that came before at the entry level. So do we, is this a good buy for a student? Would this be a, a good university computer? Well, again, I mean, the, the prices wise, uh, what they're saying is it's gonna be 1300 US and 1500 us right so uh i don't know i mean for the the same price like if we go and take a look uh, just the mac mini itself uh i think you could probably get it for quite a bit less right and um and this is again i think you kind of have to weigh for yourself whether um if you have the displays i mean obviously um getting like that 4k monitor and uh or in this case it's 4.5 but um I mean, I look at it like this Mac mini, the starting price is 900 bucks. Yeah. Right. And uh, if you move up to the, the next version, it's 1150. So it's dramatically cheaper, although then you kind of have to weigh out uh, the um, the 4K display. So, I mean, if you, uh, if you go and get something third party, plus on top of it, I, I guess the other thing that the... Uh, also provided, which they—it's uh, been a long time coming, I guess—but they actually are uh, giving you the option with the Magic Mouse, the Magic Trackpad, and the the keyboards to actually have color variants. Uh, and also, they have Touch ID for the first yeah. time on a iMac, which is pretty cool. I also found it a little bit strange that Apple—I uh, I always laugh at the rounded corners obsession that Apple has—and. They have put rounded corners on the keyboard so much so that they have on the new keyboards they actually have shaved off the keys on the corner so they're not actually square they're rounded to match the case of it and i was like why would you do that but anyways it's it has that has to be perfectly consistent with them it does come with all that stuff but you're right it, it seems like the mac mini I, I was just thinking about this earlier today just from a student recommendation perspective so i think i think the mac mini especially if you don't need a 4k display which is which is you know and this is 
you know, these are high resolution, high color accuracy. It's great for color correction if you do photos. If you're a design student and you're doing video editing, photo editing, and you really want the best quality displays, Apple displays are fantastic. The, the, the quality is very, very good. They don't put anything out uh, that has any uh, discoloration. That would probably be a worth the value but if you're you know working more on word processing and you have an external display you're probably better off to spend more money on the mac mini and get the 16 gigs of ram and a few things like that because i from what i can tell i can't see all of the upgrades with the new imac it's not released yet but i think it's it's getting pretty expensive you're getting close to a couple of thousand dollars probably to put in 16 gigs of ram and all this stuff so probably the mac mini is i think are still our long-standing recommendation with the new macbook air for Max. I would say so. And I mean, you also think about it this way. Uh, you could also take your Mac mini and, you know, hook it up to a TV if you wanted to with the HDMI out. Um, and, uh, you know, again, that could be something that uh, if you wanted a larger screen, although I don't know how much you should be sitting in front of <laughs> a large TV like that, but um, certainly you have that flexibility. But uh, again, for myself, like I, I look at it, I don't know if I will get a, a laptop in the future. And if I did, I think probably what I would get is uh, maybe that um, uh, the MacBook Air or the other one, um, you know, the, the 13 inch. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's, I think I think that's a really good recommendation. Um, I always recommend to people that um, spend as much money as you can uh, when Apple devices come out. If you're in, if you want to be an Apple user, um, there is one other thing I want to touch on, which is from Microsoft. That's a total curveball for you today, Chris. I didn't talk. I didn't prepare that at all. But I want to talk briefly a comparison to the Surface Four or the Surface Laptop Four as a as a, a Mac alternative. But I usually encourage people to spend a little bit more money to get the 16 gigs of RAM. Uh, it'll future-proof your device. It'll last a lot longer. You can often get seven, eight years out of a Mac computer, and I think it's well worth it to, to put the money up front. Uh, I've always done that, uh, and it's always been a, a worthwhile investment. Um, if you don't mind, Chris, do you mind if we is it okay to take a quick detour um, regarding the uh, Surface uh, Laptop 4? So... A Microsoft, I don't, I think it was just before, it was before this event. Um, I think it was a, a few days ago or like a week ago, maybe, um, probably because they didn't want to overlap with an Apple event. Companies that have an Apple event, uh, where, where they plan an event that occurs the same day as an Apple event, their event gets totally put under the rug. So they, they always avoid that. Microsoft, for those people who are not interested in an Apple product, I, I know that uh, Chris and I use a lot of Apple products, but uh, if you're on the Windows side, there is a really good new computer from Microsoft. So the Surface Laptop it was is just been released. This is the Surface Laptop 4, the fourth iteration. And what's really interesting, Chris, with this is that both there's two models. There's a 13 and a half inch and there's a 15 inch. Both models have the option to come with uh, the much better AMD Ryzen CPUs. So for all the technical stuff aside, Apple has moved away from Intel. They make their own processors now. They're really good. They're really fast. They're killing it. Um, so Intel's kind of on the ropes. AMD's stuff is excellent and provides pretty close battery life to what Apple has in a, in a traditional uh, desktop 
uh, x86 CPU. So the Surface Laptop 4s have been released. Uh, they're not cheap. They started about they started about $12.99, so you're, you're in MacBook Air territory. Uh, but they are really great in so far that they are touch. Uh, they are pen ready, so uh, they double as your iPad and your laptop. They come in a variety of colors and finishes. And I like that there's a 15 inch and a 13 inch, uh, and they offer both Ryzen AMD processors, meaning that you're going to get really good battery life. I bring this up as a comparison to Apple's MacBook Air and MacBook Pros um, because I think these are really compelling alternatives to Apple. If I had a Windows computer, I would probably be looking at a Surface 4 laptop. And from the reviews I've seen, it is a massive improvement over the previous generation, which is also quite well regarded. So I really don't have a lot to say about it. I just know that uh, we tend to use Apple stuff, but some people don't. And that happens to be a new computer that just came out. That's good. So the last thing from the Apple event was the iPad Pros. So you and I got iPad Pros. Uh, thank you, uh, respective institutions for professional development funds. I do use it for education and teaching. It has been a great device. I do all my note taking for students. I use it as a virtual whiteboard. It's a, it's a great teaching tool. Um, so I thought maybe we would start off with our uh, feelings of this new iPad Pro and then our experience using last year's iPad Pro for a year. Yeah, so I mean, one thing that I, I found kind of interesting is that uh, the way that they were talking about uh, the iPad, the new iPad with the M1 chip, they almost kind of, uh, you know, maybe it's a marketing kind of thing. You always have to go and sell new product or what have you, but they made it seem like the old iPads don't do anything that the new iPads do. <laughs> so. Which is total bullshit. <laughs> we should point out. <laughs> so, well, I mean, there may be some things. So what I, I actually don't remember, Chris, what were the, what were the number one features that they highlighted? Like when, so the new iPads have a new chip, right? Every year they get, there's a new chip in the iPads. So the weird thing, so that there's the iPads have always, and the iPhones have always had these A series chip. I guess that stands for Apple. So it was like A1, A2, A, I think the first iPad was called A4. And now we're, I think ours is A12Z Bionic. The names are ridiculous. And so this iPad Pro has a new chip just like every year, but it has the M1 chip. So it actually has the same chip from the Macs when Apple switched away from Intel to their own processing power, which yielded great performance, but it's still in an iPad. So what were some of the things that they highlighted in terms of what it can do? Well, I mean, they, they were talking about like the LiDAR side of things, and but I mean, that's available in the old iPad as well. Um, I mean, even the the difference between the M1 and this uh, the the older chip i mean it's it, they were always using uh, their own silicon and i mean basically that that's a precursor to these M1 chips uh, in the iPad and uh, i mean even in terms of that lidar side of things i mean that that's something that um uh, just in terms of the augmented reality and uh, and so on it, uh, it certainly is something that they're experimenting with um 
So I, I, I found that one feature and I, I bet you this uh, is probably like that center stage, what they called it, where uh, it'll basically keep track of your face and keep it centered in, in for the FaceTime calls. I mean, I think that's probably a software uh, kind of uh, thing. And so I likely will be available on our iPads as well. So uh, I, I honestly, I'm not sure. I, I don't, I don't know if there is anything that, uh, uh, that the uh, new one can do that the old one won't be able to. But uh, obviously, again, Apple has to keep selling their devices. So yeah, I mean, and it's so they touted a 50% performance improvement over the previous generation. Now, for people out there, like a student who's thinking about an iPad, um, or a faculty member or an educator who's thinking about an iPad, I do recommend the iPad. I think it's a great device. I don't know that I would recommend the iPad Pro anymore. And we were kind of on the fence about that last time we talked. So the iPad Pro, I use one. I do use it at a pro level. I edit video on it. Um, there is so much overhead in performance already to have a 50% improvement in performance for what most people do, I think is redundant. Um, there is some different connectors in this one, I think that make it a little bit more compelling. So it has a USB-C port. We already knew that now they have, so the port that, uh, USB-C kind of oval shaped port can do multiple things. It does U USB four level data transfer instead of USB three. It has Thunderbolt. Uh, that's really helpful. I guess if you're going to connect external storage, like if you want to plug it into like a server stack storage, but I mean, again, really edge use cases. And then of course it has this new true depth camera that follows you around like the really creepy, uh, Facebook portal camera. So it's, it's okay. Uh, the 12.9 inch, so the biggest one, is the bigger upgrade, I think, because they include, they say, um, the same display technology. They, I believe it uses the mini, does it use a million, mini LEDs for both, or is it just the big one? I think that that was just the bigger one. Because they say it's an XDR display, so that Apple has these super high-end $5,000 monitors for professional videographers and stuff. They're using the same technology in the iPad Pro. Canadian, for the 256 gig model, which is what we have in our previous, it starts at $1,529. These are so expensive. Cons I think considerably more expensive than even the previous generation. So they've really moved into the, into the high end. I don't see given the software on the iPad, and maybe we can have a discussion about the iPad OS software, I really don't see a compelling reason for a student or an educator to go with a pro unless they need that high refresh rates or they're doing video editing and audio editing and stuff in it. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, probably our recommendation, maybe it might even still hold true that uh, we would maybe go and advise people to get the iPad Air instead, if you did want to have like a, a mobile, you know, uh, kind of device. Yeah, still pretty expensive. It's seven seventy nine, but considerably more affordable than uh, the Pro. And also remember that the other iPads from this year haven't been updated yet. So I suspect that closer to fall, maybe closer to school, or perhaps very soon in a press release, we may see updates to the base level iPad and the iPad mini. So I found from an educator standpoint, this to be not a very compelling uh, product from Apple. I do like the iPad. I think it's a really 
interesting. I think they have a new pencil, or maybe they don't have it. No, they don't have a new Apple pencil. There's nothing has really changed from a form factor perspective. It's a faster version of something that's already handles everything I can throw at it. Now, again, I mean, I think even when you start thinking about the price at that level, then you might as well just get the MacBook Pro. Well, probably, you know, more multifunctional. I mean, the, the operating system is a bit more robust. Now, we've been using the iPad Pros, the 2020 models, for about a year. So I was kind of curious, Chris, what is your, uh, you know, long-term year impressions of that device so far and typical use cases? Yeah, and, and again, I probably haven't used it to the full extent, like how you're editing video and other things on there. But uh, one thing that I did find nice is that, especially when you're grading papers, you can get away from your computer and, you know, you can even sit outside or what have you. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's a different um, positioning and so on. Uh, you know, sometimes if it's uh, nothing uh, super intensive, maybe you could even watch uh, you know, uh, something in the background or listen to something in the background while you're marking. Um, mm -hmm. I certainly like uh, the ability. I mean, it's pretty quick, like especially again, I don't know how much the, the M1 chip is going to go and increase like from a performance standpoint when you're doing these kind of regular tasks, day to day kind of tasks where you're just going off of a web browser and using your pencil and, you know, making some comments or what have you or grading. I have a very similar use case. I did say edit video, but that's certainly not the most common thing that I do. Uh, I, I don't grade as much, but I do do. I did uh, finish some peer reviews for academic articles. So pulling up the PDFs, drawing it out, uh, the people who get the peer review comments are going to be, they get written comments from me, but they're also going to get this kind of marked up document, which I, is like what I would give to a student, right? So that's super handy. Um, I don't know why they would put all this power under it unless there was a plan to expand the value and the usability of the software. I find even if I had the larger tablet, it is a pretty limited multitasking experience. I do put apps side by side. So I have, you know, a document and a, and a web browser and I can pull one extra thing over. This seems more like a precursor to whatever their upgrade for their software would be because using the only advantage to using the same chip and this and the Mac would be if you're a developer and you're writing apps that were somewhat universal for both. Yeah, that makes sense, especially if you are going in. Uh, I mean, they did talk about that during the event as well, that there's now a bunch of apps that have been developed using the M1 architecture. Um, so, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, in the long run, who knows? I mean, I've, uh, as we've discussed previously, uh, Maybe it's a, you know, it's going to be a bit of a changing of the, the guard and especially with uh, the um, uh, most likely it's going to be more of a hybrid workplace. And so do you really want to go and hollow around a laptop? Uh, not that it's like that much more, um, you know, uh, weight or what have you, but uh, I think that you know, that uh, 11 inch, 10.5 inch kind of uh, iPad, it's, it's a nice size. It's not, you know, it's something like basically carrying around a notebook, right? And so I, I kind of like it from that aspect and, you know, uh, having the ability to go and uh, uh, share something with somebody, uh, 
you know, using the pencil, it's a different interface. Um, and again, I, I don't know if I would be carrying around my uh, uh, computer as much. And that's why I, one of the reasons when I'm looking at it in the future is maybe having a desktop and then uh, my day-to-day kind of thing will be this iPad. Yeah. And I can see it, especially when they make this more useful when you plug the iPad into an external display. Uh, that's been a common complaint. You basically just get a blown up tablet interface if you pl- you can plug the ipad into a monitor and use a keyboard it doesn't function very well you can use a mouse at the ipad too but it's very limited um, they did demo they showed on the apple event they showed these new ipads being plugged into a monitor but they didn't demonstrate um, new features or making better use of space or anything like that you just have like you know uh, wall-sized icons on a television isn't that helpful i, I suppose for presentation mode it, it is um, but you make a good point. Maybe it's maybe it's more of the modular device. I keep thinking about the Apple Newton. Uh, the, all of these announcements. So when I was a kid, we talked about this before. You, Chris is like a, a couple of years older than me, so he remembers even better the Apple Newton, which was Apple's pre-Steve Jobs return, their personal digital assistant. In fact, Apple uh, coined the term PDA, and it was this handheld tablet that was pen-based handwriting recognition was promised uh, early models were terrible but the last the later generations of the newton were really good actually a handwriting recognition and for those of people who don't know there's actually a whole handwriting recognition software in your mac if you use an apple mac uh, you will never see it it's hidden in the settings pane if you if you plug in a graphics tablet like a wacom you will see a pen-based um, interface and all the settings for a Wacom tablet will appear in the Mac settings. And that handwriting recognition and all of that stuff is still based off the Newton. It's the it's based off the same technology. And it's funny that the Newton was criticized for um, well, the limitations it had at the time. That was you know, almost 30 years ago. But now we have this tablet and they're touting it as the, the next thing that you need. It's You can use your fingers or you can use a pen. Now you can connect a keyboard and a mouse. Newton, you could connect a keyboard to. But the limitations of the software are still there. And, and the funny thing I think about with the Newton, there's actually a huge user group of people who still love the Newton, is that it was designed to be limited. You brought up a notepad, you could write, and then you could decide the data of what you wrote down, where that would go, what app would you use. Very data-centric versus app-centric. And the iPad is uh, really just a home screen, a collection of apps, but it suffers from the same limitations that the Newton did, except it's promising, in my opinion, to be a total replacement. Yeah. And again, I I think people also have to be cognizant of the form factor and what you can do with that. And so, I mean, in a lot of ways, even I I think the in the future, who knows, like the the laptop might even go away because uh, from an ergonomic standpoint, I mean, it's a it's a fact that, uh, you know, you're actually uh, putting strain on your neck and your back uh, just because of the the way it is unless you lift it up to eye level and then at that point basically it loses its functionality right it's mm-hmm. not it's not a laptop anymore uh, so um, again uh, I mean it's it's unfortunate like even that magic uh, keyboard that they created for the iPad I mean if it wasn't so expensive I, I think that would have been kind of um, a nice uh, in-between kind of thing but it's I mean just that I think is like what 300 and something bucks 
it's as much as the entry-level iPad. <laughs> so it's a very expensive pro-level device. It was an interesting announcement. I, I do prefer these pre-recorded announcements. Uh, they're an hour. They're not a two-hour bonanza of uh, self-congratulation and applauses. So I really appreciate that that's not there. It's, it's efficient. I can actually fit these into my schedule. But maybe some potentially useful stuff for education. Yeah, for sure. You can learn more about EdTech Examined by going to our website, edtechexamined.com. There, you'll find ways to subscribe, as well as host information, our social media accounts, and our blog posts. Our blog posts are also published through Medium on the EdTech Examined publication. You can contact EdTech Examined by emailing us at hey at edtechexamined.com. If you have an EdTech question you'd like us to answer on a future episode, you can email us or reach us through Twitter using the hashtag EdTechOfficeHours. You can find EdTech Examined on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at EdTechExamined, and we also have a LinkedIn page you can follow. Until next time. And I'm Chris Hall, the audio producer for EdTech Examined. You can get in touch with me and contact me through all of my social media at my website, which is chrishong.ca. That's C-H-R-I-S-H-O-A-N-G dot C-A. I don't know how to end this episode. I got nothing. That's all I got. I want one with the barf emoji. It's just like... Which makes me look like a bonehead. <laughs>